0: the SBP Podcast. I'm your host, Suzy Botello, and you're listening to episode 55. Three, two, How many times have you imagined a story? Perhaps you're like me, and you see a story in everything. Maybe you see a photo and a story comes to mind. A lot of our memories are stories. There are stories that come to us. We think they come out of nowhere. <laughs> I think that stories are a bit like cooking, though. Let's take the ingredients. We take our memories, our experiences, our imagination, maybe a bit from dreams, and we toss in a little wishing, and well, then you just mix it all up and put it in the oven. Of course, it's a little more complicated than that, but do you add a cup of imagination and a tablespoon of memories, or do you flip that, vice versa? The process of storytelling is magical in many ways. There is an art and a science to it. But I encounter people who are doubtful that they have any abilities in art or science. And I'd like to help you believe that you have both and then some. But you will never believe me unless you try. You most likely have a smartphone. In this world, more people have access to a smartphone than a toothbrush. (laughs) Yeah, I read that statistic somewhere years ago, and it just stuck to me. So I am betting that you have access to one too, right? Even if it's through a friend or a relative. Now, our guest in this episode is an actor who has had the privilege of working on many short and feature films, even Hollywood films like King Kong, District 9, Lord of the Rings, and The Hobbit. Have you heard of any of these? Jed Brophy shares his experience working with director Steph Harris and actor Mark Hadlow in a feature film shot with the iPhone. The International Mobile Film Festival was launched 10 years ago after a few years considering this idea that people could make films using mobile phones. Sometimes the timing of an idea is not the best time to launch it. So I had to wait until 10 years ago. I wanted to bring respect to storytellers who would make films using smartphones by launching a film festival which only accepted films shot with cell phones to put them on a big screen and roll out the red carpet and give the filmmakers the true film festival experience. A lot of people since then, back in 2009, have made made films using their cell phones or smartphones. The camera in your phone is getting better with each new phone. And that is part of what we will be discussing during the film festival in San Diego, which always takes place on the last weekend of April. We'll share a link on the notes, but you can remember this, www.internationalmobilefilmfestival.com. This episode is about to inspire you in a big way. Jed Brophy is experienced in the film industry, and to hear what he says through your ears in a conversation with all of us, it's very special. He also has a message for all of you. Whether you have already tried, whether you're just thinking about it or wondered, now is the time. Listen to Jed and download this episode so you can listen anywhere Anytime. And now, let's talk to Jed and listen to his stories. Hey everybody, welcome to the SBP podcast. I am here in San Diego talking to Jed Brophy in New Zealand, am I correct?
1: That is correct, you've said it very well, New Zealand or Aotearoa as we call
0: it. Aotearoa, did I say That's that? That's I'm getting yeah. better. <laughs> um, you are. Um The reason I'm talking to Jed is, well, first of all, it's pretty awesome to to talk to an actor who's had uh, his his level of experience and I'm going to ask him to share some of that. But also, Jed is one of the protagonists, one of the principal actors in a film that has been making the rounds on social media. Uh, It was shot with an iPhone 7. And we just had an interview the last episode. Maybe we should call this part two (laughs) um, with uh, with Steph. um, Steph Steph, Harris. Yeah. And he well, the thing is, uh, when we were talking to Steph, um, we talked a lot about, you know, the concept of of this film that you guys shot from his perspective. So yeah. I, I really want to talk about your perspective with him. But before we go there, Jed, do you mind sharing a little bit about yourself and how you got into your wonderful acting career first?
1: Yeah, I, um, I was going to be a kinesiologist. I went to Otago University to become a physical education instructor and did drama as an outside paper. Um, uh, an actress in this country who does a lot of dialect coaching called Miranda Harcourt Suggested I go to drama school, and I applied and went. Did a lot of theatre. And then about three years after graduating drama school, I was doing a play with a writer called uh, Stephen Sinclair, who coincidentally co-wrote Brain Dead with Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh. And Peter came backstage one night and offered me a part in one of his films, a zombie film called Brain Dead, or Dead Alive, I think it's called, in, New Zealand, in, um, in, in the U.S., and, um, yeah, I started working in the film industry, which was, uh, in those days, very low-key. There was small budgets for films, not big-budget films. Peter was making kind of splatter horror films. And then next up on his list of things in France was a film called Heavenly Creatures, which I was also in, and then was lucky enough to, through various kind of uh, jobs, hook up and do Lord of the Rings, all three of Lord of the Rings films with with that um, that film company, winged Up Films and, and uh, New Line Cinema. And yeah, I've been lucky enough to work as a film actor pretty much ever since. Um, I got to work on Peter's films such as King Kong, did some work as a mo-cap actor on Tintin and then got to play Nori, the Dwarf and the Hobbit trilogy. So back to Middle Earth again, which was something I never thought I'd do. So yeah, I think, I think I've done about 40 feature films now. And Is that all? <laughs> yeah, I might learn I might learn a bit about the craft soon if I'm careful.
0: <laughs> that's pretty awesome though, 40 feature films. That's that's yeah. a lot of work.
1: It is. And um some of them have been huge films. Some of them have been, you know, 100 to 200 million dollar films and some of them have been $12,000 films like Blue Moon. So I've done the gamut really. Um started off in a small part of the film industry and got to work in the big part of the film industry and now I'm Going back to doing some nice little jobs like Blue Moon, I, I really enjoyed doing that film. It was Blue Moon was just the two actors, really, or three or four actors, no CGI, just a narrative and a phone. So back to basics.
0: How um, you know when I was talking to Steph, he was saying that basically because the film has a lot of dialogue, it's a it's it's all shot around one location. And yeah. there's so much dialogue in that film, but there's also a lot of character development because of that as well. Yeah. Um, and he said, "You you guys really didn't have that much time to." Uh, I was telling him I was a script supervisor, and people who have even an an entire year to study, you know, an entire uh, screenplay, and especially their parts. Right? I'm still getting the line line, you know. But with you guys, you guys were running it through like a, like a stage play, right?
1: Mark and I have done a lot of theater. And it's, in fact, that's where I met Mark 30-odd years ago. He was doing a play at Circa that I was doing the lights for. I was still a student. And um, between us, we've probably done 150 stage plays. And we rehearsed it like a play. We had three months in between doing a, a one-night test to see how the, the phone worked as a camera. We had two scenes to learn, and we learned four. And I think we realised then that if we broke it down into parts, like we broke the script down to seven sections, his arrival, my arrival, we called one of them the money, one of them was school. So we looked at different sections of the film and learnt those as kind of seven, eight, nine-page bits of text. When we got on set, we just found that it was all in there. We kind of remembered it. And we talked during the day about how we might shoot certain scenes, about, you know, how and how much intensity would be in them. So when we got onto set, we did very little on-set rehearsal, We just basically put the clothes on. Steph told the camera person where to be and sort of looked at where we'd be placed in the room, and then we just shot until it fell apart. And I think our longest take, Steph said, was about 11 minutes, and that was our whole you know chunk of dialogue. So you, we, you, you get better when you do it. You get better at learning it fast and especially working for Peter because he doesn't give you the script the night before you get the script when you work for him on the day. So you get quite good at processing speedily.
0: Yeah. And I could imagine, you know, well, you were talking about $12,000 and hundreds of millions of dollars. That's that's just a little (laughs) bit of pressure, right? When you're giving the script the night before (laughs) or that same day.
1: Yeah. They tend to work with actors who are, are pretty keen to get it right as well. Um, there's a bit of responsibility, especially when you're playing real characters, um, especially in, in films like The Lord of the Rings and, and The Hobbit. They have much-loved characters, and you kind of want to get it right. But once you get to the level of, to work on a film like that, you, you're pretty keen to do a good job. So, you know, homework in terms of getting your character right is the main thing. Once you sort of know how your character might be, the lines tend to come. It's a weird thing. The more background you do on a character, the easier just to learn the part for some reason.
0: Well, you've always, obviously, you've done some things right um, by the Lord of the Rings films because you've only been, how many?
1: I've done all six, so I think Ian McKellen said there was myself and maybe Kate and one or two others that have been in all six films, but that was a bit of luck too. If they hadn't have been shot in New Zealand, that may not have been the case. You know, I'm a Kiwi um, resident, and so having the film shot here was a big, that was a big plus really.
0: Now, in, the, um, in going back to the the Blue Moon film, um, because the camera, you know, was obviously a little smaller, right, than the ones in uh, Lord of the Rings.
1: Yeah, a lot smaller. You know,
0: just about an inch smaller, right? <laughs> um, when you were working with that, and you said you came from from theater, then you went onto these these big, you know, the traditional uh, film cameras, um, which there are many kinds, but then you went to a mobile film, to work with a mobile film. And I'm just wondering, uh, was that, did you have feelings of, did it take you back to outside of it being shot? But did it take you back to the stage?
1: Yeah, it did. We we were lucky that we had a, a locked down location. We just had the one location that we shot. And on that, that's constricting in one way, in terms of the story has to stay within the boundaries of, it makes sense to be in the boundaries of that particular location, but it gives you an, a massive amount of freedom to explore the characters because there's nothing else. It's just you and the set, and there's no artifice. There's like you say, there's a there's a phone, you know, something of this size with a lens attached to it and a gimbal and one other person, and it's pretty easy to phase them out. The more crew you have on set, the more clutter there is, the harder it is sometimes to concentrate on your job. But on a film like this, once Mark and I were on our costume. We were Like like we were on stage, it was just the two of us and everything else kind of disappeared. Having said that, having worked on those big films and being aware of how a camera moves and how slowly you have to walk, for instance, when you want to be captured on a, on a tracking shot, all of that experience of both theatre and film became a really good mix for making that film, making Blue Moon. And it was, we talked about it being like a blast back to the past where it's just completely character-driven, completely actor-driven, the artifice or the technical equipment, if you like, never got in the way of what we were trying to do. And that tends, in a big film, you're always aware of the fact that there are three cameras sometimes. You're shooting in 3D a lot of the time, so you have to be always aware of what you're doing. This was, yeah, it gave us, an like, like I said before, enormous freedom to, to just explore those characters.
0: Were there any... Um technical differences that you saw between the two the two sets as far as you know just real just some technical stuff <laughs> yeah
1: look we we had an app um filmic pro on the phone and we had a an app that allowed us to film to to transfer via wireless straight onto a laptop and then onto a hard drive so the phone never filled up you always get stoppages on big films. there's always something Because you've got so much going on, if you get a shadow with the third camera or the crane on, you might have 16 or 17 people in a scene and you've got explosions and you've got stunts and you have to stop all the time. But with this, we were able to just start shooting and we only stopped when the shot actually fell apart and we had to come around and find another angle. So I think there's only two scenes in the entire movie that we went back and reshot for performance or for camera moves. So we were shooting maybe 30 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes a day of usable footage. You might only get two minutes a day of usable footage on a big film because of the stop-start nature and because of the size of stuff that you're trying to capture. You know, two people, if you can do a film with really only two or three people, you save a lot of time. And if you're doing it with one camera person, you're saving even more time. The lights were all preset, so there was no changes in someone coming on set to change the lights, putting a diffuser in. We didn't have a dolly, so there wasn't, you know, having to reset back to number ones and making sure you hit the marks. Either We didn't have any marks on the floor. We just it was up to the cameraman to capture our performance from whatever angle he could get. So a lot on him, you know, a lot of kudos to our one man on the spot and a lot of kudos to Steph for giving us that freedom.
0: When you had uh, the, you know, I don't want to give give away anything because I don't yep. think there's... I feel privileged that I've that I've watched the film, but um, a lot of people haven't yet, and I don't want to give the, any suspense away to anybody. But uh, there's a cool fighting scene, uh, yeah, in the film. Although most of it is really uh, driven by dialogue, and it's it, it does get intense. There's a lot of suspense. It's kind of like, um, <laughs> you know, like that night that we've all had, where it's like, can something else? Just kind of come and interrupt, you know this this night, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: I, I love those kind of films. Actually, the, the yeah. ones where you are never quite sure how it's going to end. Um, I'm a great fan of narrative driven films, and you know, smaller budget films. They, they're the kind of things that I love watching. But there is that's one of the only bits of um, on set rehearsal that we had really was doing that particular fight because it's it's got three or four different parts to it, and it kind of escalates to its climax and. Yeah, it was uh, it was interesting trying to map out how to do that and be able to capture it on the one camera. We actually managed to hide another phone in amongst a whole lot of packets of chippies <laughs> for one of the moments. Um, and, you know, we had we had on-set weaponry, which is always tricky as well. And luckily, Steph, being a policeman, is also an armourer. So that was all locked down and safe. But, yeah, and we've, we had people rock up while we were shooting thinking it was a working service station, wanted to buy pies. So there was a lot of those kind of things that happened that were fun. But, yeah, it was um, that's uh, that kind of choreography I really like. And Mark and I have done a lot of stage fights and a lot of fighting on film, so we were able to kind of choreograph that ourselves. We didn't need um, a stunt coordinator. saved on time and it saved on money, and we kept it safe as well.
0: Did you have to <laughs> – okay, now you had to wear quite a bit of makeup when you were doing um... – Uh, some of the characters uh, in some of your films because lord of the rings is not the only the only film where you've worn makeup right
1: no i've worn a prosthetics a lot i think the longest makeup i've done is seven and a half hours and that was for shaku and lord of the rings but on the shanara chronicles for mtv playing the doug demore i had five and a half hours of makeup and again on rings four and then i think nori on the hobbit was around the three and a half hours of makeup so i've done i have done a lot of that and it's not something I would, you know, do if I wasn't being paid well. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> sitting in the chair is it's, it gets arduous after a while, and anyone that's done a character part where they have to wear a lot of makeup will tell you that it's quite wearying. Great thing about Blue Moon is it was just us wearing our own clothes and being ourselves. So, quite liberating from that point of view, too.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it and that was what I was going to say in the difference. You didn't have to wear, wear any makeup. And I'm sure that also, doesn't that help a little bit with the, um, because you're playing human beings, right? Yeah. Uh, it helps with your character as well, right?
1: <laughs> it does. Yeah. It's, um, look, it's fun playing creatures. It's great, but they are, you know, they have different imperatives and they have a different way of motivating themselves and they have a different mobility a lot of the time, but it's more just the the kind of nature of wearing those heavy costumes. It's, you know you kind of, half the character work is done for you by the costume and by the makeup and the rest kind of comes from you trying to work through that. Doing something like Blue Moon, like I said, there is no artifice like that, it's just the two actors and so it comes down to be able to create a real character that people can have empathy with. And and we were lucky, we had three months in between first talking about it and first having a night of shooting to then discussing how we would play these characters and what their backstory was and that's kind of unique in this country, having that much time. You don't usually get that much time to think about uh, developing a character. And it was all on our own backs. We we took it upon ourselves to, you know, find some commonality in these characters with us, but also base them on what we thought were real people. I had a lot of fun playing that character. I don't get to play characters like Darren and Blue Moon very often, and so I'd like to do more of that kind of character work for sure. Hmm.
0: What about? Um, is there any possibility you might uh, want to be behind the camera and in front of the camera? I do. I do advise a lot of actors to make their films. Direct, you know. Yeah, I,
1: I do. I've got a couple of things. I'm I'm writing. I'm writing a TV series actually based on our experience of shooting down in Machuaka. That's a kind of a police drama, but a slow police drama, not a fast turnaround shoot a drama but something that, again is character driven and I've been working on a film for a year for some friends of mine that I'm going to direct so that is the next logical step and I've directed theatre before I enjoy directing theatre but film I feel like I've been around film enough to have a fairly good grasp about how I might go about shooting one
0: yeah there's a I mean there's a lot of actors that have even grown up in film like Ron Howard right yeah um, yeah, gone to be wonderful directors um, sure. Would you consider making one with a smartphone?
1: Absolutely. I think it was liberating actually using a smartphone and just looking at what we could actually get and how beautiful it was. I've shown this film to people like Sir Richard Taylor who came to our, our screening in Wellington and he could not believe that we shot it on the phone and I like the fact that people don't believe it. I think that shows the skill involved in actually making it look good but also the fact that the the cell phones themselves and the cameras on them and the adapters that you can get for them, the lenses that that various people make are are really cutting edge. And so for shooting a story for the first time where you don't have much of a budget, or even if you do, I think they're a brilliant thing. If you're in the right setting, they don't work for everything. They don't work in really low light yet. That's a a tricky one. You have to light quite well, Um, but it's really useful. And if you've got a good handheld operator, you can capture, you know, seventy percent of what you can capture with a whole lot of whole bundle of lenses on a on a big flash, four hundred and fifty thousand dollar camera. You know, like I say there's still limitations, but we didn't we were lucky we didn't really see those limitations in our end result. I think it actually comes out looking quite good.
0: What do you think about the artistic aspect of you know, what can come through and be developed and uh on a mobile film as opposed to the traditional films?
1: There's an intimacy. It's like you're in the room. It's um, it's far more like you're a voyeur and you're part of the action because you have to be close in terms of the way that you use the screen and the way that you you use your ability to be able to push in and pull out on a shot. You have to be quite close to the subject matter. And so it has that real feeling of being gritty, realistic, you know, you're in the moment and you're in people's faces. And I like that. I when I saw Unsane I liked the fact that it was we felt like we were very close to the action and probably shouldn't be there in in some aspects, if you know what I mean. Yeah. There were times when it made you feel uncomfortable. And what I like about Blue Moon is we were able to get shots too where the camera was very close to the action and therefore the audience is very close to the action. It kind of builds in the intensity. So I think for story for storytelling they're a, a unique tool and yeah, I see a huge future in and people uh, shooting in this way, and and also multimedia. You can mix using the phone with with cameras if you want, because you can actually it's a it's a unique kind of look on screen. I like the widescreen aspect that you get with some of the adapters. It takes me back to kind of films from the seventies and eighties, those widescreen films that we fell in love with.
0: Yeah, and and you know, there's also this whole huge part of experimenting with them where you can't really do so much when you're working with big budget films right
1: yeah that's right it's um it makes you be innovative when you limit yourself in terms of the technology that you have at your fingertips It creates innovation and what i've seen with you know i had i mean i was not a believer until we shot i hadn't seen anything where i went oh yeah that's the way to shoot and I think that that that's probably the same for most people. It's not until you actually grab a phone, grab the gear, and get out there and make it that you realise just how portable they are, and how you, if, it's in your it's in your pocket. You can always carry the gear with you. You can just pull it out and start filming random stuff at any time, which may actually be useful in a film or a, or a music video. So yeah, I see. This is an important kind of thing for the future. It's like when a beta video came out and it kind of changed video, and then when you know, miniature digital tapes came out, they revolutionized shooting from the hip, and then when the red came out, it revolutionized um, shooting digital in a way that actually looks fairly like cinema. I mean, it'd be great to shoot on 35mm all the time and be able to afford to do it, but that's not the reality for most people. So this is a, yeah, the phone itself, I can't wait to do our next one. I I, you know, the TV series that we're thinking of doing,
0: Yeah,
1: definitely shoot the pilot using a couple of phones because that's the kind of look I want to go for.
0: Oh, well, you know you're going to have to contact me if you do that, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely, I will.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> fly out here and, and come and be our on set on the uh, fly on the wall.
0: Oh, right. I wish I could, I'll be honest with you. You know, it's really wonderful. I have to tell you this personally here in public now, but it's wonderful. I've been a big fan of the Peter Jackson films, and especially the Lord of the Rings uh, you know all the, all these films, and there are people around me who attest that I've thought about this film every single day of my life because yeah. you know it's a, it's such an adventure, you know. Um, it was
1: an adventure, and we kind of had no idea, kind of how it was going to change the fabric of fantasy as well. When you know when you're making a film, you don't always know what the end result might be for. The audience for the public in general, but also for the fabric of, um, you know, mainstream media. It, it did a lot for this country in terms of tourism, but it also did a lot for us in terms of film infrastructure. Peter was able to build a big studio in Wellington, which enabled other big Hollywood films to come and shoot here and, and was probably the reason why James Cameron decided to come and shoot Avatar here. So there have been great things on the back of it. But, you know, what you said before, the adventure, that for me was the the biggest adventure I'll ever have on film. You can't ever kind of recreate how we felt making those films, making three films at once. I got to be in, in the horse department training horses, so see <laughs> nice. a whole other part of the film industry I've never seen before.
0: When I was a little kid, I used to believe that whatever was happening in a movie was real. So I wanted to be in the movies because I thought you got shot at and got to ride horses <laughs> and <laughs> fly (laughs) and all that stuff um i i did um i grew up in spain up until i was eight years old and uh, i took drama classes every time we moved to break in to the new school yeah you know and um but being in movies there's something i want to tell you though um so when you're acting and you're on stage Uh, most of the time, right, it's not being filmed and recorded so no one can really play it back. Yeah. And you don't have to see yourself. You're going by the perception of the people in front of you and what they say later. Having to watch it again, that's tough, right?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't actually know. I haven't worked with many actors that really love watching themselves on screen. It's very hard not to be self-critical about how you think you should look. And I do remember, and I hope Pete doesn't mind me telling you the story. I, on Heavenly Creatures, there's a scene that I was doing with Linsky as the border, and Pete kept saying he's not cool. I know you want to play him cool, but this character is not cool. He's, you know, he's a he's um he's a bit of a bookworm, and he's isn't of the German. He doesn't have any swagger. And as an actor, that's really hard to switch off because having grown up and watching. A lot of westerns and movies made by people like Alfred Hitchcock and um, John Huston and people like that from the 70s and 80s and even from the 60s, those kind of black and white films. All the actors, all the main cast have a swagger to them. It's a kind of a coolness that actors tend to have on screen. And it's hard not to have that. You know, that's our hardest job, I think, is just to be normal so that people can relate to us. Um, but every now and again you do. There's a great shot in Blue Moon, and you'll know the one where I'm striding across the forecourt. That's my favourite shot in the whole movie because it's like it's your, it's my Dirty Harry moment, <laughs> striding out, you know, striding out, keeping distance from the camera. So, yeah, it's um, stage is a different animal. You do rely so much more on what you're getting from the audience. It's a good and a bad thing because if it's a bad night, the audience tell you straight away and then it's a very long night on stage if you're not entertaining them. It's a long three hours before you get off. On film, you just go cut. And go back and do when you like.
0: Uh, there's a, you know, there's another aspect to it where your your train of thought because you're so in the moment on a stage in your character and in, and in the action that's happening whatever the event is in the scene, um, where in a film like you were saying before you're constantly being interrupted, yeah, you know, and having a camera you know close up time, time to have that camera you know within inches of your nose right. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) Um, how do you do that?
1: It's it's a bit like separating. It's like um, partitioning a computer. You kind of partition part of your brain, learns to be aware of the technical aspects, but then ignore it. Like hitting your mark, you get quite good at hitting your mark without having to look for it because your spatial awareness on set becomes very attuned if you do it enough. And it's why my advice to young people is to not wait by the phone for getting parts, but get out there and do it. You know, work with friends and create your own small films, but do it with with, um, adherence to the technical aspects of making film because that stuff, your body learns, it becomes muscle memory, and then your mind can kind of deal with the stuff that the character is dealing with, the intention, the motivation, the subtext, and all of those things. And it is, it's a lot like juggling, um, working on a film. Really, really good ones manage to do it with ease, and, and the rest of us kind of struggle along. Watching Ian McKellen go from being Ian McKellen to Gandalf was just a joy because he was able to do it so seamlessly. He'd probably tell you it wasn't seamless for him, but it certainly seems so to us. And then I've worked with actors who are very method because they can't um, switch off the technical aspects, so they have to be so in character that they simply don't see the artifice or the the technical aspect of it. But, yeah, it's not not easy getting used to that. It's... um, I always have on my first day set I always have a momentary panic of about 30 seconds just before they call the first action for the day and that part of my brain is going you are not worthy to be here <laughs> you should go home. <laughs> and then you get over that and you carry on with your day and it's alright
0: yeah you're there you got to think about the film right the
1: story got to think about the film and especially it's when it's someone else's money you, you want to get it right well yeah
0: that's true um, it, it seems to me like you put a lot of uh, work in Blue Moon. Do you mind sharing a little bit more about how that story? I'm really fascinated by the backstory of that. Uh, yeah, we,
1: Mark and I had both been to boarding school. There's a thing here in New Zealand when you hit 12, 12 till about 17, 18, there are schools, sort of private schools, I guess you pay. We call them boarding schools, and you go away from home and you stay there. It's based on the English kind of Eton or Rugby or, you know, one of those colleges. And Mark and I both had that experience of, as young men, going away and being at a boarding school away from home. And the characters in the story have that same subtext. They have that, they've they've been at school together, they've been at boarding school together. So they've had this kind of formative history through their teenage years and then something happened. We don't know what it is. Mark and I know, we we made up our own story that uh, we heard someone and I took the blame for it and so I left school. And so that subtext kind of we used in terms of building the, the, the fabric of the story is a point at which I recognize him from school and he knows who I am. And it's like we go back 40 years and we are those same, you know, teenagers or late teenagers that we were back then in terms of how we operate with each other. Um, and we talked a lot about that. We talked a lot about what might have happened, who was the dominant person, you know, who was who had the most status, Um whether or not I'd bullied him, for instance, as a teenager, that was sort of things we talked about. So while we were shooting, we, we would shoot in the nighttime or wake up about 11 o'clock, and he and I would do two to three hours worth of just talking about scenes that were coming up. Do the lines quite a lot to make sure we had it under our belts, but, it was, but not characterise it too much. We sort of waited till we got to set. Once they'd put our makeup on, and once I got into my costume and went to set, I pretty much just stayed as Darren. Um, maybe 90 percent of the time i was still able to joke with the crew but then probably five minutes before we shot i just jumped into that character wholeheartedly and steph was very low-key as a director he just kind of put the camera in place and then let us start when it felt natural and uh, mark and i have a we had a pretty similar um what's the word rationale when it came to actually doing that I didn't tell him all the time what I was going to do. There's a couple of moments on set where I slap him, and they weren't scripted. They were just things that I thought my character would do. Kind of things that you would only do with someone you trust, someone that you've worked with before, or someone that you've had quite a bit of pre-time with. So again, we were lucky that we had three months on and off to kind of make phone calls and, and get together and actually meet and talk about this film and the way that we would actually approach that character arc for both of us. So, yeah, it was um, – it's not the most in-depth thing I've done, but it was certainly more in-depth than you would normally do for a film.
0: Yeah, you can see – you can actually, you know, when you were just talking about, you know, the backstory with the with the two characters, you can see the difference. It's very subtle, though, um, mm-hmm. between you, both of you, when you recognize each other.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's um, – it's well-written, I think, this story as well. And when something is well-written, it kind of makes logical sense. You can do a lot more work on fine-tuning that subtext than, than if you're trying to make a story up. Um, we really liked the story and we liked the arc and we were able to play within that because it had a really solid structure as a story. So you know it comes back to the text. If the, the story is good, actors will work a lot harder to try and make that real. But again, Steph didn't push it in terms of time. We didn't have, you know, we were only six hours a night and we were up against it, but he never told us to be faster. He just let us take our own logical pace. So it had a kind of an organic feel to it. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to do another film like this, you know, straight away. It'd be great if he could work like this all the time.
0: You know, uh when I when I first launched this romantic it was a bare bone idea, you know, what if, right? But um it was something that I had been developing in my brain since two thousand three, you know. Um the and, and we didn't even have anything like that on the phones yet, but I just knew it was coming because where where there's photo, where there's a device that has a camera, eventually just like years and years and years ago Uh, it turned into video motion picture. Yeah. You know, and um, and I waited and I kept patiently waiting. And finally, in 2009, I looked and no one was doing this uh, in this way, you know, putting them on the big screen, rolling out the red carpet. But it was a big deal for me to do this. And, uh, you know, you were talking about, you know, the patience that you have to, to have to when you believe in something, you know, where other people just want to rush into an idea and just make it happen. But when you really believe in it and you want to do it right, you really have to, you have to wait. You do. Yeah.
1: I mean, we, this was, we had a very, and, and, in, in one way we were, um, we fast-tracked it by just going, well, we're not going to wait for the film commission to fund us. We'd been working on a film with Steph that had been with the film commission, our funding body for a couple of years. And, you know, It just it just wasn't moving as fast as we as actors and director wanted to move. We knew we wanted to work together and just didn't want to have to wait. So the story came quite quickly, but um, yeah, it felt like we'd lived with it for a long time by the time we came to shoot it, because we were all invested in terms of we were invested wanting, to, wanting it to be good. Um, it was weird. It's, I, it's not often you get a script where you just go, wow, I wish we were shooting this tomorrow. You, you kind of I haven't been that excited by the idea of how we could shoot a story before in a long time. It's um, a
0: challenge too.
1: It is a challenge. And and the, the phone made it pra- made it made practical and it made it accessible. To try and hire a, a whole crew of, you know, 20 or 30 people would have slowed us down. Having a crew of seven and some of them doubling up it just meant there was kind of, there was a fluidity to the film. Just it kind of, we were tired at the end of it, but, um, yeah, I think we kind of knew while we were shooting, we'd done something quite good. You know, we we were pretty proud of it when we finished. So even before we'd seen the finished product, I could kind of tell it was going to be not a bad film.
0: Yeah, well, it means it means the world to me to have someone in your stature, believe it or not, uh, to to basically say to me after all these years, I'm looking at ten years now, right, 2019 now. Um, you were right. Yeah, you know, uh, to to have someone like you to say, not so much that I was right, but that you also believe in it, that you're inspired by it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and through this process, I've got a friend who works in Australia, and she has a production company with another friend of hers, and they're looking at doing this as well. I mean, I've been just, I worked with her last week and talked up, you know, what it was like shooting on this, and she couldn't believe the quality of what we got, so I think the more people see this kind of film and, and see films like Steven Soderbergh's and see what can actually be done by professionals who believe in this technology, you know, if it's good enough for Steven Soderbergh, it was certainly good enough for us. And I think if it's good enough for us, it's certainly good enough for other people. Um, yeah, I I see a huge future, and it can only get better. The more um, technology tries to keep pace with the rest of the industry, the better it's going to be. But it just has a flexibility that... that um, using bigger gear uh, doesn't have.
0: It also it also puts the power of storytelling and film in anybody's hands, right?
1: That's the most important thing. Yeah. But there is such a limited kind of way that you can get into the mainstream media in terms of mainstream filmmaking. There's a lot of people that we call the doorkeepers who have a big hand up kind of stopping you getting there when you probably should. If you can write a story and you've got a group of friends that are technically savvy or not even that technically savvy and you have some practitioners who can actually work together and have a lot of trust it's kind of nothing you can't do with these phones like i say it's if you can use natural light all the better if you can if you can get good days to shoot in and then have something pre-lit so you don't have to mess around you can shoot stuff quite quickly too it just comes with practice i mean we were lucky that our our operator had operated handheld stuff before and and was able to just jump in and I think from the three month test we did out to shooting he probably went away and did a lot of stuff on it. Just kind of getting OFA. But yeah. And and the Moondog people who, who gave us um who we got the lens from, they had good advice for us as well. And the Filmic Pro people happened to be in the country and came to New Zealand they were doing something there and came on set and watched what we did. So we had some good technical know how in terms of other people giving us advice. There's so much advice out there on the net Thanks. that you can get as well.
0: That's helpful <laughs>
1: Yeah.
0: Um, because you you guys didn't really practice on the filming end, right?
1: No, we didn't really. We, we, we tried to do as little on-set rehearsal as possible, and it um, was really fly by the seat of your pants. I mean, it was kind of like uh, making Lord of the Rings on a smaller scale. Lord of the Rings, we made up a lot of stuff as we went, and this is kind of true on this film as well. The, the, there's one dolly shot, and they just got a pram and put the DOP backwards in the pram and wheeled that across the forecourt little buggy thing that they kind of made up. So (laughs) the more innovation in a film, the better really, because it shows that people care if they're willing to jump in and make stuff work. And it's always nice to work on something where everyone's rooting for it to be good.
0: There's a, there's so much, it takes, I've been on film sets um, so many times where they're not, nothing like you though. (laughs) Okay. But, um, but there's so many times where the actors are saying, you know, and I'm, you know, trying to entertain them a little bit. I tend to be the entertainer in the set. Right. Um, And I'm, can you tell? I can. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I'm like, how are you doing? You know, blah, blah, blah. And they, they tell me right off the bat, they're like, I wish I was part of the crew because there's so much waiting around for the actors, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the crew is troubleshooting a lot and they get to get creative and they stay busy all the time. There's
1: nothing yeah. you can't do. It's, I know. we Because um, I've worked as crew as well. I've, I've been uh, on Pete's, Pete's Dragon, the Disney remake that they did here a couple of years ago. I was the movement coach for um, Oaks and Una, the two young members of the cast. So I had them for six weeks to kind of train them up to turn them into feral kids who climbing up trees and climbing up rocks and riding on dragons. And having worked for the horse department on Lord of the Rings, I certainly know where the glamour is. You know, you get looked after really well as an actor and it bugs me when I hear actors complaining because I know how hard crew actually work for not a lot of glory. And the great thing about this is really we're on set all the time, Mark and I were on set pretty much every minute of the film that we were actually filming. Same as the crew, there was not a lot of time where we got to go off and have a coffee or didn't have a trailer, you know, none of that kind of luxury. (laughs) And you work on the big films you get all that but that just slows the process down if you've got 13 dwarves say that you have to dress for a scene it takes 20 minutes to dress them whereas it's just me and mark 30 seconds and we're on set um so you have a lot more to do with the crew and you certainly you kind of have more um in common with the crew on a shoot like this everybody has to carry stuff and everybody has to pull their weight and the actors don't do a lot of sitting around, so that was good from that point of view. Like I say, there's only two scenes we went back and reshot for performance. So yeah, a lot of what you see on screen is our first our first take, which is um, that's always a good thing when the boom is not in shot, the lights work, it's in focus, and the actors get it right, and you can just move on. That's a that's a blessing.
0: Yeah, when you just said that about the boom being in, in the shot, it's like no matter how hard you try sometimes, uh, when you're using a phone, uh, the person's looking at the subject, but yeah. they they're, you know the boom is in the shot so many times, and there are other things that can get in the shot because of the size of the screen.
1: That's very true, and we had that problem because a lot of the BP we were shooting at it had one, one whole side of it was glass. So we couldn't shoot in that direction at all because of the flare that we were getting off the windows. So, yeah, it means that you do have to have, you know, my advice to people would be get your cast on whatever your set is and rehearse it. Just block it through with them, not being in character. They didn't have to be in their costume and just have a look at where your problems are going to be shooting in a certain direction. And then really map out with you and your actors how you're going to move through that space so that you can actually limit those kind of problems. We had a really good sound guy who worked on um, Quentin Tarantino's and Glorious Bastards, and he was able to hide microphones in certain places and lie down on the floor and kind of be, you know, at the feet of, the, of our camera oper- oper- operator quite a lot of the time, and they kind of worked out themselves where the best place for the boom to be was before we even started shooting. So from that point of view, that's worth the time to go in there and kind of map out how you might want to do it so that you can – limit those kind of, um, what I would call technical impositions.
0: Yeah, definitely. For sure. Um, I, I'm looking at the time and where is it flying so fast? I'm enjoying, we could, we could, I could do another hour with you, but, um, I know that you are busy right now. Do you, are you able to say what you're working on right now?
1: Um, I've just, well, the thing, the, the thing that I have been working on is just writing the script for, it's called The Mot. Um, and I have deadlines where I have to finish certain things by a certain time, so that's what I'm working on. Um, and then the next thing that I'm doing is do some motion capture for a big group of films that are shooting here over the next four years, so gearing up to do that, which is going to be good.
0: Just four years? Did you just look at, I can't even look beyond 10 minutes right now
1: yeah they're not all shooting at once, but you know they're here shooting those films for quite a long time and i've I've been lucky enough to do motion capture in this country as well so that's another thing that I am, am able to do is do motion capture on films, which is yeah it's again that's a kind of a future proofed um thing for actors if they can if you can do that kind of thing and be the raw material for other people's films and you're quite good at it then there is um there's a good uh career career move in that direction. You know, so motion capture, anti-circus has kind of created this whole new form of making films that, that is another thing again, and I've been lucky enough to do some of that.
0: So you love the challenges in this industry, don't you?
1: I do. I do. And I think, I think you kind of have to. The minute you, you think you've worked it out as well and you have nothing more to learn is the minute that you actually stop working or doing good work. I'm I'm inspired by um, lots of people, um, and I think Andy Serkis is one of those people who just doesn't stop pushing the boundaries of what he's doing. And you know, I never, like I said before, last year I never would have thought that you could shoot a film of the caliber of what we shot on a phone. And in terms of motion capture, the future is endless there as well. So yeah, I've got another thirty or forty years of me, I reckon. <laughs> I'm going to keep going once all my contemporaries have quit, and just you know keep doing them, as long as I can stay fit and healthy and the will is definitely there to go out there and and make more stories. And if you have any of your listeners who, you know, have a good script and you've got a good production team and you're looking for a Kiwi to come and be your film, just don't hesitate.
0: (laughs) I really wish I could go over there. I have some ideas already. Um, Yeah,
1: you know, (laughs) find a way.
0: You know, I have this little game that I want to play with you. Cool. Um, It's called the shout-out game. Um, Yep. We we put every single one almost of our guests through the ring on this one.
1: <laughs> oh, that's great.
0: Uh, oh, did I say the ring?
1: <laughs> the ring. You did.
0: Um, so basically, um, after listening to you speak, I've been formulating in my head a little bit about what this uh challenge, speaking of challenges could be for you. So okay. So I'm gonna put you on the spot. There's no planning on this. <laughs> so uh, you're ready for this? I am. Okay, so in 20 seconds, I want you to give a shout-out to all of the directors that you've worked with and crew that have inspired you to stay in the game. Are you ready? I'm ready. Set and go.
1: Peter Jackson, Steven Spielberg, John Landau, Jeff Murphy, Paul Murphy, Galen Preston, um, oh, how many seconds is that? Oh, that's quite a few, isn't it? Um, uh, Miranda Harcourt, Gary Henderson. That's 20 seconds, is it? Yep, well done. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't too many.
0: There's
1: some good ones in there. There's some good ones in there.
0: Yeah, no, you did it. Um uh, wow, well, yeah, you did name a lot though. You named probably like 50 people. Yeah, you know, that's pretty good. So you do like a challenge, and you you thrive in it. How did you go from being? You said you were going to work in PE. You were going to be a coach, right?
1: Yeah, um, drama was one paper that I did within that um, for Z unit um, for Z unit, and yeah, someone came and saw me in a play. You had to do plays as part of doing that drama course. It was a one year course, and I thought I could go to drama school and teach for Z and teach drama. But once I got to drama school and started doing theatre and audiences kind of stood up and appreciated it i thought maybe i'd do this for a while and my plan was always to go back to teaching when acting didn't turn out to be a good career move but that never happened because it turned out to be a great career move
0: yeah i'd say so plus you know honestly it's very um humbling to have you on our podcast show uh someone in your caliber i kid you not
1: well it's my pleasure i I talk to a lot of people around the world um about the industry and how inspiring it is for me and if and if that if me being on here inspires other people to get out there and and make their own stories and I think that's a that's a good thing
0: well and that's actually great uh, a great segue to the finale here because that's actually the the entire mission and goal of why I put together this podcast, it's uh, the voice of the mobile film industry and the goal is to inspire people. Uh, Excellent. What would you say about storytelling, about the power of that?
1: I think it's the one thing that can actually change people from A to B, um, move them emotionally, storytelling. If it's a good story, you get people thinking and you get people talking and it can be a great um, vehicle for change in terms of changing people's mindset. Unfortunately, with humans, we are what we see, and we believe what we see. And if you can use this medium um, to touch people in a way emotionally, that they actually think about some of the problems that we have in the country, or they uh, in the world, or or they can think about how they might treat people, or just telling a story that's actually of interest. It's um it's a great form of entertainment, and we've all yeah we've all had it as part of our upbringing storytelling. It'll never. It's not what. It's one of those things that can never be replaced as a good story.
0: Yeah, most definitely. And what would you say to the professional filmmakers out there that just are, they they still feel that mobile filmmaking has just too many limits for them?
1: Yeah, the, the limit is only your imagination. You know, the, te- the technology that goes with phones is catching up, but. We we used to shoot films where we made we had one big camera sticking on the sticks that everything had to move around it. Back in the day, you know, we've come a long way since silent filmmaking, and I think mobile mobile filmmaking is kind of the future. And it's a bit like when the silence became the talkies, and the talkies became colour, and then colour became seventy mil, and then thirty five mil, and then digital. There's always something that comes along that actually can change can change the moment. And I think I personally think that phones can be that. The iPhone mobile filmmaking thing can be, can be the future. It doesn't have to be something that people look down upon.
0: Okay. One last little thing. What would you like to say to, I know you can't come to our film festival this year, maybe next year. um, But what would you like to say to all the filmmakers? We've got over 15 filmmakers who all shot films. A couple of them are feature films. Fantastic. Um, Yeah. What would you say to them? What would your message be to, uh, to them this year?
1: Bravo. Can't wait to see your films. Um, wish I could be there with you. Um, and then we could all sit and watch Blue Moon as well because I think there's nothing better to me than being with a group of people who have um, a similar goal and a similar um, story to tell in terms of shooting in this way. So well done, all of you. Don't stop making. If, if you um, if you enjoy watching other people's, then go and tell them. You never know where that might lead as well. Make make Don't, you know, be brave. If you like something, go and say so because that could lead to something. You could could lead to another job. Sure. And if you like, uh, if you like our film, when you finally get to see it, like I say, don't don't be shy. Get in touch and tell us what you think. And I'd love like, I can't wait to see your films at your festival. So I hope I get to do that.
0: You will. Thank yeah. you. Say goodbye to everybody.
1: Goodbye, everybody, and thank you, Susan. It's been a pleasure.